We are starting a series, actually we started a series last week called Stranger Things, a Christmas series called Stranger Things, which is strange, right? Why are we doing a series entitled Stranger Things at Christmas time? What's the deal with that? So we talked last week, started last week about how this whole series that we're in or this Christmas season that we're in is just strange. We have a lot of strange traditions that we take part in. And all of us have them, and they're, they're strange, but we don't realize they're strange, right? For so many of us, this is the best time of the year. This is the most magical time of the year. How many, how many of you, this is your favorite time of the year? You love Christmas. All right. Even though it's stinking cold outside tonight, which is not cool at all. But this is, for a lot of us, this is our favorite time of the year, but that doesn't make it not strange, It just means we've forgotten how strange it is. So from things like Christmas trees to giant inflatable weird things that we put in our front yard that have nothing to do with Christmas, but we put them up there anyway, to other weird traditions that we have, there's just a lot of strange stuff that goes down at Christmas. But it wasn't until this week that I realized that compared to our strange Christmas traditions in America, that is nothing compared to the crazy crap that they do at this time of year around the world, all right? There's some crazy stuff that goes down in other countries. For example, you ready for this? In Austria, g'day, mate. Just kidding. That's not, just kidding. Dumb and dumber. Come on, geez. Austria. Children live in fear of Krampus, a Christmas devil who beats naughty children with branches. <laughs> Hate to be kids in Austria. Or how about this? People in Caracas, I think I'm pronouncing it right, Caracas, Venezuela, wear roller skates to church leading up to Christmas, which I'm down with that. I think for the next couple of weeks, you, we all need to ride roller skates to Reckless. Okay? All right? So just go, go borrow a pair from Sparkles and come on to Reckless. Or how about this one? Germans hide a pickle in the Christmas tree on Christmas Eve. And the first child to discover it on Christmas Day gets a small gift. What the heck is that? I hate pickles with a passion. So that is just, that's wrong on so many levels. All right, for all you unmarried ladies in the room, I got one for you, all right? Maybe you want to move to the Czech Republic, and here's why. Because unmarried women in Czech Republic stand by a door, and they throw a shoe over their shoulder. If the toe is pointing towards the door when it lands, it means the woman will get married in the next year. I don't even know where to begin on that one. Families in Estonia go to the sauna together on Christmas Eve. That's pretty cool. All right, and then there's this one. This is just messed up. South African children are told the story of Danny, a young boy who angered his grandma by eating the cookies she left for Santa. So in her rage, she killed him. And, and he is said to haunt homes at Christmas time. What is wrong with South Africa? Now, not even, the, not even the nativity is safe. 
So people in Catalonia include the figurine of the, it's called the Caganer, in their nativity scenes, which is a small figure of a man pooping. So you got baby Jesus, Mary Joseph, shepherds, and this figurine of a man pooping. I don't I have no idea what in the world is going on with people in the world. So all of a sudden, we don't feel so strange about the traditions that we have. So my question to you is, does your family have strange traditions? Just traditions that you've thought, man, this is normal. And then you're like, wait, none of my friends do this. This isn't normal. Nobody else does this. So if that's you, here's what we want you to do over the next week. All right. We want you to, to tell us about this or post a picture of it if it's happening and tag WRC students over the next week. And so next week, if you've got some of those, we'll read some of those because um, we want to share in that. All right. Now, I don't make any up. But like if you've got a legit like, hey, my, my uncle's weird and this is what he does. All right. Take a picture of your weird uncle and send it to us on Instagram and, uh, and we'll, we'll talk about it next week. All right. Because the, the reality is we all have them. We all have strange traditions. Maybe they're not as weird as some of the people in the other parts of the world. But we've got just these weird things that we do. But the, the entire series that we're in is not just about the weird stuff that we do at Christmas. Because the Christmas story itself has strange aspects to it. There's a lot of things that happens in the Christmas story that are just different. They're odd. They're strange. And we get used to it because we've heard about it. And so we've forgotten how strange it is. And so last week we looked at the fact that Jesus was born as an outcast in a cave and placed in a manger. Which is not where you would picture the savior of the world being found. But the story in Luke chapter 2 that we started last week is about to get a whole lot stranger. Because Jesus isn't the only outcast that's involved in the story. If you guys have your Bibles, I want you to open to Luke chapter 2. Last week we looked at the first six verses, or first seven verses, and tonight we're going to start in verse 8. And so here's how the story continues in verse 8 of chapter 2. It says, That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. And they were terrified. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will be great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth and lying in a manger. Verse 13, suddenly... The angels were joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. Now stop there for just a minute. Is there anything about those few verses that seems strange to you? Is there anything that's odd about what we just read? That stands out that you're like, man, it's just a little bit different, a little bit strange, a little bit odd. So we just last week, or, and in those few verses before this uh, chapter, chapter 2, verse 8, we read about how Jesus has come, right? This great arrival of the Savior, this, this event that people for thousands of years have looked forward to. 
And so naturally, God wants to make people aware of that. He wants to make this announcement known to the world. He wants people to be aware that the Savior is here, that he's come to rescue us from our sins. And so God gathers some angels together and he sends them to shepherds? Like, really? Shepherds are in this story. Why in the world are shepherds the ones that are made the announcement to? What is the deal with the shepherds here? Now, here's, here's the thing. We don't really have shepherds today, right? Um, so that's not really all that normal. I mean, we, I, we, we know what shepherds are, but it's not like we see them around. But back in this time, when this was happening, shepherds were around. They were pretty common. But they were, they were very much considered outcasts. All right, to a, a large extent... Shepherds were kind of like looked at with, ah, man, there's that weird shepherd. All right, there weren't a lot of people that aspired to be shepherds. When you became a shepherd, it was more because maybe you didn't have the skills really to do much else. Right, so if you couldn't do anything else, then you would maybe become a shepherd. Or maybe it was kind of a family business, right? So it just got passed on from generation to generation. And so, well, my grandfather was a shepherd and my dad was a shepherd. And so I guess I'm going to be a shepherd too. But nobody was going to like Israel University to study how to become a great shepherd. All right? That wasn't happening. And these are the people that God sends angels to to make this grand announcement about the arrival of the Savior. Why is that? Now, just as it's important to talk about who the angels were sent to, it's also important to talk about who the angels weren't sent to. You notice the angels weren't sent to the most noble people in Bethlehem. No kings or princes were summoned. The elders, the religious elite, at least to our knowledge in the story, they never saw any angels. So on the night that the Messiah was born... None of these people that we would think would be important that maybe could do a whole lot more with this news were even made aware of it. Now, not because God didn't love them. I think there's probably a couple reasons, but part of it is I don't know that they really were ready to handle the message. I, mean, I don't know that, that too many of the noble people in Bethlehem or in that area, the religious elite, are they going to interrupt their schedule to go see a baby that's born in a cave in Bethlehem? Even if an angel did come and tell them about it. So put yourself in God's shoes for just a minute. If you want to make this announcement about this outcast Savior that we talked about last week who's going to come and rescue people, who's coming in humility to serve and give up his life as a ransom for others. Who are you going to go and tell that news to? You're probably going to go tell people who are considered outcasts themselves. You're probably going to go find people just like some shepherds. And that's exactly what God does. The angel comes to the shepherds, and he makes them aware of this great news. 
And so you'd think one angel would be enough, right? But God doesn't stop there. He, he actually fills the sky with these angels. I love how it says in Luke chapter 2 that it actually was the armies of heaven. So just put yourself in the shepherd's shoes, right? They're, they're sitting there hanging out. It's a normal night in this, in this field. They're watching the, the sheep. They're probably by the fire or whatever the, the case may be. It's just a normal night. And then all of a sudden they see this angel and this angel starts talking to them. And they're like, wait, what? What's going on here? And they're terrified. And he's saying, don't be afraid. And he gives them this news. And all of a sudden, before they can even realize what's going on, the entire sky is littered with this army of heaven's angels. Such an unbelievable picture. And this actually is one of the few parts of this story that makes sense to us. And of course there would be angels. Right? Yeah, if we're writing this story, we're going to involve a lot of angels. And probably we're going to fill the whole earth with angels. Right? We're going to find all of these areas and these places where people are. And we're going to put some angels there. And we're going to make the world aware of this incredible news that changes history. So this makes sense in the story that we see angels appear and there's this kind of this great picture. There's this celebration. There's this radiance of God's glory filling the sky. But where it happens and who it happens to is strange. Because if you and I are writing the story, man, God, why don't we put angels above the city of Bethlehem? Right Where everybody can come out of their homes and they can look up in the sky and they can hear this news and they can see what's going on and, and, and become aware of this great celebration that's taking place. But God doesn't do that. God sends his angels in the middle of a countryside where only a handful of dirty shepherds are going to see and witness these angels. It's so strange because when you read the story, you can tell that it's so intentional. It's on purpose. It's not by accident that these stories are invited in, these shepherds are invited into the story. Right? This was intentional. God was very specific and very purposeful about inviting these angels and only these angels to be a part of, of seeing what the angels had to, to, to make them aware of. That these shepherds were the only ones that saw it. So why is it that these shepherds are the ones that are seeing this great news take place? Before we answer that, I want to look a little bit more at these these angels. So the angels appear to these shepherds, right? And I think sometimes we, we picture in our mind... Skies filled with angels, and they're singing like this beautiful chorus in harmony, and it sounds so pretty and amazing, right? And, and maybe some of the Christmas songs that we sing, based on what the angels are communicating, causes us to have that picture in our mind. But Luke doesn't actually say that. He doesn't specifically say that they're singing this beautiful chorus together. What he says is that they are praising or they're shouting in the sky. They are screaming. They're shouting for joy. Right? And it says specifically what they're shouting. Glory to God in the highest. Right? So they're, they're shouting the same thing. 
But it's not so much that they're singing like, hey, yeah, baby, or man, this is awesome, or you know, this great chorus that just sounds so beautiful. They are just overcome with emotion and they are shouting and screaming. I mean, imagine like you know, yourself at that SEC championship game this past weekend. And maybe some of you were there and how crazy and intense it was. And like loud to the extent that you're kind of, you can't hear yourself think and you're putting your hands over your ears. And then probably multiply that by a hundred or a million. And that's probably the picture of what's taking place. That these angels are, are witnessing the, the sky explode with shouting and screaming and celebration by these angels. These angels are overcome with emotion. They can't believe what's taking place. They are screaming and shouting for joy because the Savior has come to our rescue. Now, here's what's so amazing to me about this. These angels aren't even the ones that are benefiting from this message. This news that they're celebrating, this great celebration that's breaking out in heaven that they're screaming and shouting about is not even for them. Right? It says they communicate peace, goodwill on earth, goodwill to men and women, not goodwill towards angels. They are screaming and they are shouting and they can't contain their excitement and worship because of the news that benefits people. How convicting is that for us when the news is for us and we don't really scream and shout and celebrate like that? Does our celebration about what Jesus has done for us as people who are outcasts just like those shepherds who are seeing and hearing about our Savior coming to rescue us, to free us from our sins, to bring about forgiveness, to restore and repair our broken relationship with our Heavenly Father? And we shrug our shoulders. Or we half-heartedly worship. And this news is for us. We're the ones that benefit from this incredible news that, that these angels can't even contain their excitement about. They're excited for us. And they're going crazy in the sky, in the heavens. And these shepherds are witnessing it. And then just as quickly as they get there, they're gone. They disappear. And here's what it says in verse 15. It says, when the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, dude. No, I don't know what what they, in my mind, they said something crazy. But no, let's go to Bethlehem. Like, holy crap. Can you believe what we just saw, right? No, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurry to the village, of course. They didn't hang out in the field for another couple of hours and try to determine, man, what do, we, what do you really want to do with this news? Right? They dropped everything. They hurried to the village and they found Mary and Joseph. 
And there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. And all who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. So not only are the shepherds made aware of Jesus being born, not only do they get a picture of these angels just breaking out in this mass celebration in the sky, but think about this. They are the only ones who actually see Jesus in the manger on the night of his birth. It's Mary and Joseph, and God brings in some shepherds. What audience would you put together for the arrival of the Messiah? I would imagine that these shepherds wouldn't make the guest list. I would imagine that if it were up to us about who we're going to determine is going to be the audience for this great epic event, then probably some dirty, nasty shepherds in a field in the middle of nowhere in Bethlehem are probably going to be at the end of the list. And yet those are the only ones that God invites in to have a front row seat to the birth of the Savior. And I wonder, how guilty are we of determining sometimes who has worth and who doesn't? Because with the shepherd's invitation, not only to hear and see the angels in a field, but then, man, he didn't send some angels over to other parts and all of a sudden they met at this place. I don't know if the angels walked in and went, man, where's everybody else? Like, are we the only ones that got an invitation to this thing? But with the shepherd's invitation and them being the only ones that God invites to be a part of that, God reminds us that everyone has worth in his sight. That the hope of the Messiah is for everyone including and maybe even especially the outcasts and the forgotten. So it finishes up in verse 20 and the angels says they go back to their flocks. Like, I don't know how you go back to normal after that. I don't know how you kind of disappear back into the field and go, man, I can't wait to get back to the sheep now. Like, I don't know kind of what they, they thought. How, how do you go back to your normal life after that? How do you respond when you witness what you witnessed over a period of those few hours or however long it took for them to get there? I would imagine they didn't want to leave. But I would imagine that you and I would hopefully have the same reaction going back to our lives as these shepherds did. They went about their jobs glorifying and praising God. In other words, they worshiped. 
They praised God who sent someone to rescue them. They praised God for finding them worthy enough to experience this firsthand. And we don't hear anything or read anything else about them at at that point. But I can only imagine that their lives were never the same after that moment. So here's the application for us tonight. Two things in our main point. The shepherd's involvement in the Christmas story reminds us that everyone is worth saving. And everyone has the chance to experience God at work. I don't know where that lands with you tonight. I don't know if you can relate to what a shepherd must have felt like as kind of this outcast that people looked down their nose at, that kind of walked around and smelled funny and people kind of you know, stepped away from them when they were passing by. I don't know what, what you think about yourself. I don't know how often you have moments where you just feel unworthy, where you just feel like a reject, where you feel like you're forgotten, where you feel like someone or even everyone has forgotten about you. But if that's the case, what an incredible picture, what an incredible truth to be reminded of tonight, that if we've ever had moments and situations where we felt that, that God says you're not forgotten, that you may be considered an outcast, but you're my outcast. You may feel like no one cares, but I care. And not only do I care, but I find you worthy enough to send my son to give up his life for you. And not only are you worthy enough to be forgiven, not only do I find you worthy enough to give up my son's life for you, but I want to invite you to a front row seat to experience me at work. I want you to watch what I can do in your life. I want you to see what I can do in other people's lives. I want you to get a clear glimpse of what I can do if you'll just open yourselves up to it. I think partly why the religious elite and the noble people in that area didn't see that, weren't invited into that. It was probably because they weren't looking. And here you have some shepherds who were just hanging out in a field. And I think what separated them in part was because God's painting a picture for us that he's for the down and out and the outcasts and the forgotten. But also, too, he looked around and he saw a group of people in a field who were going to drop what they were doing and they were going to run to that manger to be a witness to the greatest event in human history. And if God were to show up tonight in your life, would you be open and ready to receive it? Would you be paying attention? 
Because I don't think the question is, does God want to do it? I think the question is, are you open and ready to receive it? Are you willing to put whatever distractions may be in your way and just say, God, I want you to show up in my life like that. It doesn't even have to necessarily be some angels and this mass celebration in the sky, as cool as that would be. God, maybe just do something in my life that shows me that you're at work, that gives me an opportunity to experience who you are. And I think this Christmas story and these shepherds shows that that is very much the heart of God if we are just willing and ready to open ourselves up to it. Let's pray together tonight. With heads bowed and and eyes closed, maybe you've never come to a place in your life where you've put your faith and trust in Jesus as Savior. Maybe you find yourself as the forgotten. Maybe you've found yourself as unworthy of anybody's love, much less a God, a creator. And maybe because of that, you've never taken the step where you've received and accepted that love that God desperately wants to pour out on you. And Jesus is standing and offering that to you tonight. And right where you sit tonight, you can receive that gift that Jesus is offering. Those people that we celebrate, those students that celebrated that step of baptism, they had that moment where they realized their need for God and that God loved them and gave up his life for them. And they just reached out and accepted that forgiveness. And if you've never done that tonight, then right here where you sit, you can do that. You can ask God to forgive you. Ask God to come into your life and to save you from your sins. Maybe you can talk to your small group leader tonight about what that means if you need a little bit more understanding and clarity about that. And I would encourage you to talk to your small group leader when you go to groups in just a little bit. God, thank you that you give us the picture of these shepherds that on the surface is so strange, so odd, it doesn't make sense. But it's so intentional. And the reason and the purpose behind it is to show us that you are for the outcasts. Salvation has come not to those who think that they don't need it, but to those who understand how desperately they need it. God, thank you that none of us are beyond your reach. Thank you that none of us are too far gone, that there is no no sin in our past that is greater than your ability to forgive. And so, God, I pray if there are students tonight who have never taken that step, God, that tonight before they leave, that they would do that right now in this moment, in their small group in just a little bit. God, they would receive this forgiveness that the Savior came to bring. God, I pray that, God, all of us would be able to experience you at work. Thank you, God, that it is not for those who are good enough, those who try hard enough. God, that you want to move in all of us. You invite us to experience you at work. And so God, I pray that you would just allow us to open ourselves up to that. 
and to see you at work all around us and inside of us. God, we love you and we thank you for loving us. And God, may we do over these next few minutes what those angels did. May we celebrate the great news. The great news, not that is for somebody else, but the great news that is for us. The great news that transforms us. The great news that rescues us. The great news that saves us and redeems us and fixes our broken relationship with you. God, that is worth singing about. It is worth shouting about. It is worth celebrating, not half-heartedly, not with a shrug of the shoulders, but God, losing our minds in celebration of who you are. God, may we worship like that. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.